stop. Send some bars and stop. Send some bars and stop. Got my click ready to use the money they got From jobs, encouraging, teaching them that it's not so hard I'm doing this, making investing pop You law is extra, you tuning in to Stocks and Bars Now for part two of our conversation with Taylor Sones The financial advisor you must know I, I can believe it Because they've made it very convenient for you to use it Like, I'm, I mean, I have a desktop now And the only reason why I have a desktop is because I got tired of looking at my little screen To figure things out but then I said, wait a minute, I can just put it back on the computer. So I <laughs> reverted <laughs> and got a desktop set up so I can do work. So I'm totally old school now because yep. I don't use my phone for all of the stuff that I used to. But sure, I want, I want to actually go back to your time as being the advisor, right? So when you went around and you traveled around the country, I'm pretty sure that you noticed there were a couple of things in common between these families. So... Could you share with the people, what did you find that these people tended to have in common that had this mass amount of wealth? Yeah, I think there's one underlying component that almost every one of them had outside of some that maybe inherited their wealth. And, you know, if you went back and saw where they inherited from, this person did that. Um, it's taking targeted risk, taking targeted risk, calculated risk was the one thing that I saw that everybody ha had mass affluence um, did, whether that be, hey, I'm going to start a business here or I'm going to break away and start a new segment here and take some of my employees and move there. Um, the ownership factor is what they all had. They, you know, Very few of them worked for a company and you can be a CEO of a company and absolutely make you know, $50 million in a year, but that's really, really rare. What more people did than, than not in their scenario was step away, step back and say, hey, I know there's a need in this market and I think I have the skill set to meet that need in a way that no one else is doing. Mm -hmm. And that was the one underlying core tenant to all of them in always, was a fact of they had to take on a pretty significant amount of risk. And the ones that did it successfully, the folks that I was speaking with, had this underlying fundamental baseline when they went on to take that risk. Because when you start your own company or do something different, break out on your own, you need to be financially secure right. because things generally don't flourish immediately. <laughs> right. <laughs> right? You generally have to live through a period of time where you're making little money and actually, you know, to start the business, you're putting out money. So most times businesses on the onset are capital intensive. And so you either have to come up with that money yourself or raise it from somewhere, but generally you're not taking a salary right out of the gate. So right. I guess the underlying tenant there is get yourself in a financial situation where you're able to do that if you ever do see a need. And, and I'm not one of these people on social media that says no one should work for a company. Like that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think that at all. I had a great life with a company. If I, if I didn't want to do what I did now, I would have continued to work for them and been very happy and made a very good living. I just thought that this was an area of the financial market where there was an underserved population mm. and someone looking out for them and their best interest besides for trying to sell them crypto or Tesla or whatever. And, and I'm not saying anything against that, but nonetheless, like that is not a sound financial portfolio. And I thought that that was an underserved area of the market that I could step to. But but uh, yeah, long-winded way of saying they took on calculated risk and they had themselves financially set up to afford them the ability to take on that calculated risk. All right. So when you dealt with these people, 
How long do you think it took them to amass that type of wealth? Is it one generation, two generations? What did you see? Generally, this was first generational stuff. Oh, so, okay. um, but, but that doesn't mean that it didn't take them 25, 30 years to do so. Right. right. right? So yeah. these, and, and, and when I say a hundred million dollars, that was, that was the extreme, right? Those were scenarios that I found myself in, but moreover, most of the conversations I was having were people that have 10 to call it $30 million. And don't get me wrong. That is still astronomical wealth, you know, multiples of what the average household makes. Um, but a hundred million dollars, you start hitting three digits. Like that's, that's a whole, that's a whole nother level. <laughs> right. And so, um, but, but yeah, you know, people that have 10 to 10 to $30 million, a lot of them amass that over a 30 year period of time of working on their own. And some of them sold to publicly traded companies. Some of their companies became publicly traded companies. Um, so yeah, it's, um, it, it was really impressive and really humbling to sit with these people. And especially because I came in as the expert and I'm looking at these people like, I obviously have nowhere near them that well. And they look at me as I'm the expert, as I'm the person telling them what to do. Um, and it was, it was, it was a humbling experience and, and something that it took some getting used to um, before I was comfortable doing so. And, and I said, that was 10 years. That was only the, the, the latter six years of it. Four years of it was kind of more of the grunt work and me making sure I understood everything and, and getting a CFP and getting a SEMA and those things um, and doing the education. Okay. Yeah, so when you dealt with these families, this is a curious question I have here because I'm, I'm a culture guy. And there's, there's a lot of things I know about my culture and what I saw in growing up. So I'm interested. How many of these families were not white? Let me put it that way. <laughs> I, I hate to say it, very few. And it, and it became so evident to me right out of the gates that this is a, a cultural gap. It is a racial gap. It is a wealth gap. And uh, very few of them. Now, granted, I spent a lot of my time for the record too, though. Um, one of the areas that I covered most closely was Indiana and Kentucky. Okay. So granted, you have to take that with a grain of salt, whereas that right. isn't the most mixed racial population that there is. Um, whereas I, I did have friends that spent more time in Southern California, and there was a very big Asian contingent there with a lot of money, et cetera. Um, but no, most of them, unfortunately, looked like me. Yeah. Uh, well, it is what it is. What yeah. it is. Like, yeah. I'm not a proponent of that. I, you know, that's one of the reasons that why, why we're doing what we're doing is, right. is more accessible financial products that are put together with a sophisticated, educated background need to be brought to market because otherwise what happens is people take the step into investing and they buy what they think is cool. And what and, and I don't mean they think it's cool because it's done so well recently is generally what the case is. So most people, this is interesting. So JP Morgan put out a stat that talked about, it showed when people entered the crypto market and the highest number of people entered the crypto market, made their first crypto purchase when Bitcoin was at $68,729. Oh, no. <laughs> the absolute day of the peak of Bitcoin prices was when the most people entered the market for the first time. And it's natural because people got FOMO. Their friend yes. told them when it was trading at 40,000, they bought. And all of a sudden they doubled and then some, or not doubled, but made 50, 60% yeah. gains on it. And they said, hey, you got to get on board. This thing's going to the moon. People are talking about going to a million dollars. And they're like, all right, I'm in. And then they get their legs chopped out from under them. <laughs> it falls 60, 70%. And they're like, I'm never investing again. This is a fool's game. That's what happens. And and, and it's hardwired into us is, is the problem. People are, are hardwired to be bad investors because it goes back to, 
you know, I don't want to get into to religion or anything like that. But like, if you believe at all in kind of Darwin and survival of the fittest, of, of the fittest, it's fight or flight. Right, right. And you can't fight the market. So flight is the only option. And right. when things get scary, it's fight or flight. You go, I'm out. And so that's hardwired into our brains. Um, and it's something that you have to teach yourself and coach yourself over time to get away from. Because as Warren Buffett says, right, you want to buy when there's blood in the streets. But when there's blood in the streets, it is scary, scary as yes. all get out yes. to buy. Um, <laughs> and, and you have to know what you're buying there, too. Don't get me wrong. But yeah. This is something that we're going to forever have to struggle. I don't think this is ever going to go away. And for the simple fact that, like you said, people are scared. And I remember when I first got into the market, it was like right before the 08 crash. And I got in because oil started to go up. And I remember vividly when I was pumping my gas at the gas station. And it was like four, four bucks or something at that point. And I'm like, wait a minute, why am I not getting paid for this? Right. <laughs> why don't I just actually own this gas company that is actually charging me for this, right? And then that's right. when the light switch hit for me. And I'm like, all right, that's it, no more. And that's when I started changing the game for myself. So I want to actually go to Bitcoin now because we talked about the whole dollar and the BRICS thing. And we, you mentioned about the centralized aspect of things. So- yep. How do you feel Bitcoin is going to continue to play into the future? Me, I, you go first. I'll go after you. <laughs> yep. So I, I, I'll shoot you straight. I'll call the spade the spade that I think it is. I think Bitcoin is a risk on asset. So I think that people are going to buy it when the risk nature of the market is there. And so like this year is a really good example. The NASDAQ is up 17%, whatever it is, year to date, something like that. And Bitcoin's up. 60% or something like that. Yes. Last year, the NASDAQ was down 33% and Bitcoin was down 70. The year before that, 2021, Bitcoin was up 200 and something percent and the NASDAQ was up 40%. The year before, it trades very closely yeah. related to the NASDAQ. And so when we look back and say, hey, how has the NASDAQ, which are, and I, I should be giving this context, NASDAQ 100 is an index that's made up of predominantly yes. tech stocks. So um, the NASDAQ, in Bitcoin generally trade directionally together. And so if we look back at what the NASDAQ has done historically during recessions, in 2008, it was down 40%. In 2000, 2001, 2002, it was down, and I'm, gonna, I'm not going to get this perfect, but something like 21, 32, and 40% in three subsequent years. So now there is a narrative to it that it does all of these different things but I like to look at the numbers and look at correlations and relationships. I'm a numbers nerd. And when I look at the numbers, <laughs> the thing I draw the closest parallel to is every year the NASDAQ's up, it's been up. Every year the NASDAQ's down, it's been yeah. down. And we can't look at Bitcoin during a recession because it gained popularity in the early 2010s. So it wasn't around for 2008 in any meaningful way. Right. And then it was around in 2020. And it gapped downwards just like the NASDAQ did during COVID, but then it snapped back right like the NASDAQ did immediately. So that's not really a great barometer um, because it was a, you know, it was a government induced recession that happened synthetically, I'll call it. Right. And then it was, you know, off the races out of the other side. It was like a 45 minute recession. Like that wasn't real. <laughs> it was in Marvel called the blip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. Exactly right. So, hey, I, I, I don't mean to rain on anyone's parade. Uh, that's there. I see the relationships and that's where I think that the, the risk on trade 
the music stops when you move into a recession and people start to look to take on less risk and move away from risky assets. I tend to think that's what will happen with crypto and Bitcoin specifically, but I, I don't have a crystal ball. That's just what the numbers are telling me. So I'm, I'm interested to hear your take on this because I know there's, you know, <laughs> diverging paths on, on, on people's thoughts on this. All right. My view on Bitcoin is very, very simplistically put. And I look at it from the perspective of how PayPal, Square, all of those guys took off. When they finally got introduced to the market, being apps, whatever that you can use regularly, when the, the people had access to it and it was easy for them to use, that's when everything started to take off. Okay, PayPal really didn't make any moves, I believe, until you were able to use it like in Home Depot and stuff. When it was in the public, it got used. That's the problem that I see with Bitcoin is that it's not easy for somebody to get to. It's yep. very complicated, in my opinion. Every time when I try to talk to somebody about it, I was like, okay, how do I do it? Okay, you need a, a, a bit wallet or something like that, and you need this, and then you need to hook your account to this, and then in order to convert it, it takes this much time. And I was like, all right, you lost me. <laughs> right after that, and then I was told that the wallet can get hacked. I was like, you really lost me after that. I am not doing that. So I believe until we have easy access, that it will become simpler for people and then they will actually be able to take advantage of it. Second point, I always said from the very beginning that this is all going to be cool, right? Then there's going to be a whole bunch of players that come out with their coin, token, whatever it was. And I said, all that's going to get shut down as soon as the government makes their coin. And once they make their coin, they're going to shut everybody else's down. That's what I said from the very beginning. And here we are now with FedNow, all this stuff. And everyone's talking these gloom and doom theories about FedNow and how they're going to be able to monitor your transaction, whatever. Oh, that's another one, too. Yep, yep, <laughs> yep, yep. I've gone down that rabbit hole, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's my take on it. Until it actually becomes available for the public to use regularly. If I cannot go to the grocery store and use Bitcoin, I don't think it's going to be able to, to take off the way that we think. But that's my view. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think that um, mass adoption of it isn't there until there's a use case for it. And right now there's there's not really many tangible use cases for it. So I, I, I tend to totally agree with you on that. And and I will say this, like, um, and, and I'm not a crypto expert, so don't don't take me for a crypto expert. Um, but Bitcoin and, and maybe there's a couple other that, that have more use cases, but I do think if there's one of these that are gonna survive it's Bitcoin over the rest of them. I mean, yes. I, I would feel more comfortable putting my money in Bitcoin right now than I would in the seventh one down the list. Um, <laughs> at one point, there was over 100 coins right. that had over $100 million of market cap. And, and I'm like, like 100 why? coins yeah. with $100 million of market cap? I can't even name, I can name like five, seven, <laughs> 10, maybe. 100 of them are worth more than $100 million. That was crazy to me. It reminded me a lot of back in the day, the tulip mania. So are you familiar with Tulip Mania, Dutch, Holland? So, so like I, I back just the, learned that, what country is it that has the most tulips? Uh, I forget. I just learned this the other day. So it's way out of my mind. <laughs> so, so here's the crazy story, though. So back in like, I think it was the 1700s, um, in Holland, there became this tulip mania where there was apparently a reported scarcity of tulips. And so people were paying exorbitant prices for tulips and the rarer they were, the more they were being paid. And at one point, rarer, like some of the rarer tulip bulbs 
were going for more expensive prices than mansions were in the country for one tulip bulb to plant a flower. <laughs> Right. And so it just gets to that psyche of that FOMO that people can experience. Hey, these things are going away. You need to get it now or you're never going to be able to get it again. And then inevitably, because it's a tulip bulb, what wound up happening is the bottom fell out from under it. It went right back down to the prior prices. So um, but yeah, I mean, regularly normal tulips, not even the rare ones, were going for the comparable price of a Tesla back in the day. That's, That's how insane. crazy the prices were. That is yeah. insane to think, but I, I guess that hap inflation happens everywhere. You can't yeah. get rid of it. I used to love bacon, <laughs> and I remember back in 08 when bacon prices went to the roof. I was like, I'm not buying this. It was like like 6 or $7 at one point when it was for like a pound and a half when it used to be yeah. like two two and a half dollars I'm like, no, nah, you know what? I am. I like you, but not that much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. I hear you there, man. So- let me get to what I want to get to for last. My favorite thing here. Hip hop. All right. Here we go. So, yes, my background, the reason why I do what I do is because I used to live. Well, I still listen to hip hop. But when I did in the 90s, all the education I got as far as finances were concerned, we're no good. <laughs> <laughs> now, I have developed the ear to translate it now into something. Sure. And I think that's what I do now. With the whole stocks and bars, stocks and hip hop, I'm able to take those lyrics, decipher them, and then now tell you this is what it means in the investing world on what it is. Because the hip hop artists always had some form of money. Now I kind of understand they didn't, but <laughs> in the videos, <laughs> they showed us all this wealth and that's what we chased. So I want to actually ask you, you know, what, what's the hip hop or what is your favorite hip hop artist? So I'm a Jay-Z and Tupac guy. Okay. Um, and I and I don't know that I'm willing to point to one over the over the other there. I'm an East Coast guy, so <laughs> you know, everyone was Biggie versus Tupac. I like Tupac more, but uh no, I, I grew up kind of on you know the the later kind of like nineties, early two thousand albums of Jay-Z okay. more than okay. anything else. And then Tupac, I just grew grew to like respect. Tupac was like trying to change the culture trying to say, hey, you know, fathers need to be involved in their kids' lives, so on and so forth, yes. when that was absolutely not the culture at the time. So those are those are my two favorite, uh, probably forever. <laughs> my favorite is Nas. And okay. Yeah, I've, I've always liked Nas. From the very oh, they had that Jay-Z beef going yeah. forever. Yeah, yeah we, we did have that, and I was riding with Nas <laughs> all the way. But, yeah, when, the hip-hop that I listened to back then – it, when I started this podcast, as a matter of fact, the whole reason why it started is because I was listening to that music. And I remember when I was listening to it and it was telling me on how I was going to take my girl and how I was broke and how my car didn't look like theirs. And it just made me I was like, why am I listening to this? And at that point, I said, all right, I gave up hip hop literally for like about a year and a half where I didn't listen to anything. The radio. I did listen to the older hip hop but the radio yep. at the time i said cut it off i'm not doing it and then yep. it dawned upon me i said if that hip hop doesn't exist i can create it and that's why i do what i do now and i i, I love it <laughs> you know i I'm, love that i i used to think i was this this outlier right but as i continue to do this i find that there are more people who's like yeah this is awesome and i'm like Thank you. There are more people like me who actually love hip hop and want to learn how to invest 
That's why yep. I exist. <laughs> oh, such a nice intersection of the two. Um, one of the guys that's on our team is a guy named Brandon Copeland. Are you okay. familiar with Brandon? He, I am. Yeah, football so, player? Yeah, football player. So he just got done with this his 10th year in the NFL last year. And uh, he's a hip hop guy and bridges the gap between the two. He teaches a financial literacy class at UPenn where he went, working okay. school of business, Ivy League. So he was doing that. He was the only person to ever do the NFL and be a Wharton or, or just be a professor in general in the off season. And his, his whole thing is like, he would intertwine hip hop in lessons and financial Excellent. awareness, et cetera. <laughs> um, so he's doing the same thing you're doing and he's, he's amazing. That's awesome. As are I, you, as are you. Thank you. I, I got to connect with him at some point in time because he's on my timeline frequently yep. because we, we obviously mesh. So it would be awesome to be able to connect with him at some point in time. He does, yeah. And he does a podcast with a guy named Ross Mack who is involved in the music industry as well. So uh, okay. there's there's definitely a heavy music tie on that end. Gotta love it. <laughs> yep. Last yep. one. All right, we're going to talk about playoffs and, and, and NBA. So, yo, check this out. When I went to your page, I saw one-off page posts. And my guy can hoop. All right, so I saw <laughs> that he got air up there, right? <laughs> so tell me, man. How long have you been a hooper? Oh, uh, basketball. So I, I played football in college. Okay. Um, that said, basketball was always my passion, right? So um, growing up, my father was a basketball coach. My sister went to college, played basketball, then became a basketball coach. Her husband, my brother-in-law, was a basketball coach. So I just got it in my blood, right? So growing up, that was me, man. Um, but the, the the one thing I never developed is my fine-tuned skills shooting I just don't have a jumper and it's something I worked a lot on. I played AAU throughout high school and uh, worked hard on it. I was great at everything else, but I could not shoot the ball and you can't make it to the next level unless you can shoot it, man. So I'm that guy that's in warmups and everyone's like, Oh, he's coming. I got him. And then they're like, dude, you can't shoot. And I'm like, I know I didn't tell you I could shoot. I told you I could dunk. I'm the opposite. I, I can't do right. any more. We'll put it that way. I haven't been able yep. to get out there and do it, but I can shoot. I, I, I can, can shoot. Me. Yeah, I, I can Love shoot. It. I, I can definitely listen. Anybody out there who want to put a game on, I can shoot. All right. Put me out there. <laughs> It's lights out. I'm 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 nice. I with love it. So, yeah. <laughs> I love it. And how often are you playing these days? Now I'm actually gonna see if I can get into a league this year. And the reason yep. why I was scared is because I kept saying, It's gonna be my first game, I'm gonna blow my knee out. You know, I'm I'm forty two now and I keep thinking about what the heck am I gonna do out there if I injure myself? What what <laughs> I'm gonna be sitting back here sitting on this computer with a, a cast on. But now I'm like, you know what? You only live once, man. I love hooping. That's so, it. yeah, I'm just going to go ahead and do it. If it happens, oh, well, it happened. And you, it, you like this, man. So, I, I play in the same league uh, Wednesday nights. It's pickup, but it's generally the same 15-ish guys. And the guy that organizes it is, you know, probably my age. I'm, I'm 34. I think he's 35 or 36. His father plays with us. He's 73. So, like, oh, it, it, you know, okay. I got no it, it, it's the best. So, like, you know, everyone else is, is our age, you know, in that in that ballpark. And then there's this guy out there. It's like, you know, you got to be a little careful. You can't, you know, yeah, yeah. you can't be running him over and stuff like that. So, uh, but it's fun. It's just inspiring. The other day, we're warming up. A man's laying on the ground, the 73-year-old. And I'm like, what is he doing? So, he's stretching. And then he goes from, you know, toe touches, rolls back puts his feet back over his head and touches the ground with his feet when he's laying on his back. 
Oh, I'm like, oh, you're 73, my man. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, Mr. V, let me get you up because you might be stuck there the rest of your life. Come on, man. Yeah, he ready <laughs> now get back out there. He's 73 and doing it. Yeah, I'm I'm with it now. That's enough. Enough said. I'm a silent for this league. They don't play until the fall, which is cool. There you go. I'm, I'm all right with that because I, I go out and I go get some buckets in around the block from here and you know but there's nobody yep. there playing nobody in my neighborhood goes out and plays so i shoot so that's how I, you know i still got it still got it, still got it. i see that form i see that form <laughs> all right last question who's it. taking the nba finals who's who's got it man i don't know i, I so i i'll tell you who i back I, i'm a dame guy I'm a Dame guy. So if okay. you see in some of my videos, I wear I, I wear a Dame Lillard jersey. Okay. Obviously, he's now. And I just love Dame because Dame was the original one going back to like now a lot of people are saying it. But at the time, I hadn't heard anyone else say it. And they were like, Dame, you know, you took that game winning shot from deep, didn't act like there was any pressure. And he goes, my man, pressure? He's like, pressure is the single mom out there right. that doesn't know if she's yeah. going to have food for a kid in the fridge at the end. And I was like, dude, this guy's the guy. Yeah. Like, come on, man. He recognizes so, real life. Uh, they, Dame's out, the Knicks are out, and uh, at this point, I'm like, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm having a, a tough time getting behind anyone. Who are you rooting for? I'll jump on the bandwagon because I got no one to root for right now. You said my team is out. The Knicks. <laughs> 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 I'm a full-blooded New Yorker, right? I was there. You know, I'm from Brooklyn, although I would yep. love to be able to root for the Nets. I can't. I'm a Knicks fan. I, I am 100%. And I remember when they doubted us when we was the eighth seed in 1999 with Latrell Sprewell. And we went up against the Spurs and we lost 4-1. But we went all the way. The first number eight seed ever to do it in NBA history. And we did it. And they counted us out and they're doing it again against the Heat, who also happens to be the eighth seed. But they're going down. All right, Knicks. Oh, excuse, dude, I thought, I thought that... You can tell I don't pay that much attention to the NBA. I'm a college basketball guy. I thought the Knicks were out. They're no, out. They, they're down two one right now. Oh heck yeah, two one. Then I'm then I'm on board with the Knicks. I'm not, ah, like yeah. I said, not an NBA fan, but here we go. Let's do it, man. I'm, I'm a Knicks fan. I'm a Dame fan. So uh, yeah. again, I don't really watch the NBA, but uh, I'm a I'm a college basketball guy. So right. Syracuse is my team there. I like Syracuse. I always like Syracuse. Yeah. I, I haven't seen much of them since Melo left, but I like Syracuse. <laughs> That's because no one's seen that much of them since Melo left. <laughs> That's not true. They had a couple good years since then, but like my man Jim Beheim, who just is stepping out now, uh, he's like 78 years old or whatever. He built the program up there um, in the Big East with uh, John Thompson, Jim Calhoun, that whole contingent. Um, he's now done, and I think that, that it was time and we might get a revitalization of the program there. Hopefully they get something good on there. Yeah, le last yeah, people who are left in the NBA, we got the Knicks, Heat, then we got yep. Lakers, Golden State, we got the yep. Suns and, and Denver Nuggets, and then on the East Coast we have uh, Philly and Boston. So those okay. that's our last teams that we got here. I could care less for any of the other ones, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a. I can't say I'm a Lakers fan. I, I like the Lakers, but I'm not a Lakers fan. I can't claim yep. that ring. That's not me. Yep. Knicks. Yep. yep. <laughs> Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> Are you a Giants fan too? Are you an NFL fan? Giants or, or fan all the way. Yes. My man. Yeah. My yeah. Man. See. Yeah. We didn't get a chance You're to talk about this draft. at FinCon. <laughs> Yo, love it, Taylor, love it. I appreciate you, brother, man. 
And one thing I do on this show is because I know life is so short, I tell people I love them. You know, I've, I've lost people in my life and I've seen other people just wish they had that opportunity to say something to people. And I don't let that go by. So I don't have to know people to love them. I can tell anybody that. So much love to you, brother, to your family, to your brother who's having a baby right now. Yo, yes, much love to the Song family. I appreciate you. I appreciate everything you do for people to learn about the market because this is something that I feel like personally everybody should be involved in. And man, big shout out to you for creating a product that's going to allow people to participate in the market with less risk as well and it's going to the people who truly need that help so kudos to you for figuring that out and being able to offer it to people much love to you man i really appreciate you oh super kind love right back at you brother seriously uh you you, you do a great job you, you humbled me by giving me such a nice introduction here but uh Super, super fun chatting with you. I'm happy to come on and do this anytime if you ever want to do it again. Thank you. Thank you. And that is it for Stocks and Bars, family. I appreciate you. And now you know what time it is. It's time for the bars. <laughs> uh. Yo, Pac, I'm going to hold this beat for a minute, fam. We got you on the other side. Stocks and Bars. We begin in the stock market. That idea is different. It's a thought process. Most of y'all been scared. That's a thought process. Walk change, but won't do it. Let's halt that process. Bought a little liquor for it. What you knew about the market, we gon' turn it into foreign. Finances mixed with hip hop, I'm making it important. We could talk about the best. Is it Brian or is it Jordan? When we talk about this market, then the culture get destroyed. Why is ownership a must? You can look at Flint, you saw it. It's appalling. But then there's people like me and Taylor serving our calling. Helping you progress to be your best, and we're all in. Doing this before trends. We remember what poor is from where the floor lives. Investing our dollars, making sure that they all twins. Our success loves company. And we can all win. Stocks and bars.